0: Welcome to BlitzCast, an NFL Draft podcast, brought to you by NFLDraftBlitz.com. And now, your hosts, Alex Kavtov and Ed Hunt.
1: Welcome, everyone. BlitzCast is here, and we have two interviews on tap during today's show. But the first thing on our agenda is the surprising Miami Dolphins. When I looked at our predictions... Before the season opened up, you and I didn't have the Dolphins in the playoffs, but right now they're they're vying for that playoff spot.
2: Yeah, and Tua to Tung-Viola is three and zero, which is uh, kind of surprising. I mean, when he first came in, it, I mean, he was a little, you know, he he had kind of that rookie rookie flare up, but I mean, when he and now that he's starting to you know get a little bit more experience as a starter in the NFL he's starting to calm down and he's really turning into a a legitimate NFL quarterback
1: I think the question will always be like who got the better end of the deal Tua was drafted number five overall to the Miami Dolphins Justin Herbert went six to the Chargers they faced off this week well I wouldn't say it's like a fair comparison because Justin Herbert was under a lot of pressure Miami Dolphins designed a lot of great defensive packages, and they confused the rookie quarterback, but it looked like the, the Dolphins got the better end of the deal on Sunday because they won the game. well over Herbert in Game 1 of, of their illustrious careers going forward.
2: Yeah, I mean, it helped for the Dolphins to have a lot of draft picks, and it's starting to already pay off this year. I mean, I talked about how I thought, you know, this team had a really good draft, and I think I think some of these draft picks are starting to pay off. It's not just the Tua to tongue viola pick. It's the other picks.
1: According to Bovada Sportsbook, uh, the Dolphins are a three-and-a-half-point favorite over the Broncos this week. Well, if the Dolphins made Justin Herbert uncomfortable, who is going to be Offensive Rookie of the Year, it looks like. He's the favorite right now, unless something drastic happens and he just falls off, which I don't think will happen. They're just going to make Drew Locke look like a JV
2: quarterback this Sunday. Uh, You know, I hated being the one to kind of quell the excitement of the Broncos, you know, Drew Locke not really being, you know, all that he's hyped up to be.
1: Yeah, I think a lot of people were excited last year when he came in and he won a few games and people were excited coming into the year. It hasn't gone well for them this year. The Broncos are struggling, and and Drew Locke does not look like the quarterback of the future. And it doesn't bode well when you've got three rookie quarterbacks from this year's draft that are doing extremely well. And I'm talking about Burrow, and I'm talking about Tua and Justin Herbert. It looks like these quarterbacks are just adjusting to NFL life a lot quicker than they would in in previous years. I mean these guys are catching on and offensive coordinators are are doing a great job designing their offenses around the, the strengths of these three or you know the previous quarterbacks as well and we've seen that with Kyler Murray. The Dolphins are sitting at six and three. They've got a five game winning streak right now. Ed mentioned that Tua has won three straight games. I actually criticized the Dolphins for making the switch because Ryan Fitzpatrick was on a roll. He won two straight games. All of a sudden, Brian Flores makes the switch to Tua, and I was like, what is this? Why are they doing this? But it looks like a good move, and you know what? Brian Flores looks like the favorite for Coach of the Year honors.
2: Yeah, I mean, obviously when you take out Fitzpatrick it's it's a little bit like questionable, but I mean this was always to his team. I think that's what what the message is, is that this was always gonna be the Tua to Tongue Viola show and you know, as soon as he was ready, he was gonna get the job and you know, guys like Tyrod Taylor and Ryan Fitzpatrick, I mean they're they're bridge quarterbacks. You know, they come into situations with young quarterbacks, and you know, they're kind of asked to, you know, teach them the ropes and show them how to run a team and start for a few games. And then, you know, once they get their quarterback of the future going, it's like, all right, now it's now it's on to the next city. And I mean, it has to be a tough life. I mean, it's not like you can buy a house somewhere and really stay somewhere for a while. You gotta you gotta kind of pack up and go and you know lead another team. And so, you know, that's what's gonna happen with Fitzpatrick.
1: I have to give credit to that Miami Dolphins defense because that defense has definitely exceeded expectations. They played pretty well last year, but this year they're just playing on a different level. And they're forcing takeaways. That secondary is playing really well. I mean, they held one of the best receivers, Keenan Allen, in check for the entire game. That's why Justin Herbert struggled because he always – he looks for his security blanket and his security blanket is Keenan Allen. They only allowed a touchdown to Keenan Allen late in the fourth quarter, but otherwise I think they have to like three catches. I mean, that is basically nothing. So you got to give Flores and that front office credit because they're basically building a Patriot model. They're starting with defense. They built up that secondary. They spent money on that secondary. They gave David and Howard, a big contract, and then they brought in Byron Jones. It looks like Brian Flores is going to be one of those Bill Belichick disciples that actually is going to accomplish some great things because that, that Bill Belichick tree just hasn't looked great in the past couple of years. And it looks like Flores is, is going to kind of rekindle that Bill Belichick flame, as they say.
2: Yeah, and it seems like a lot of franchises have tried to sort of re... You know, remake the sort of Belichick model. I mean, you talk about you know the Lions with Matt Patricia, get basically someone from the Belichick tree or the, you know Belichick disciple, and try to build that kind of program in in another city, and um, it just it just doesn't work the same way it's worked for Belichick. Well, it's working for the Dolphins right now. They seem
1: to have hit a home run with this hire, and going on record to say that at this point. I would give Coach of the Year to Brian Flores if I had a vote. Let's turn to another team that's on a roll right now. It's a team from the NFC. Let's talk about the New Orleans Saints. They've won six straight games. Drew Brees was hitting his stride the, the last couple of games. He got his receivers back. He got Michael Thomas back, and the defense was playing better. And We talked about it last week, how how well they looked at uh, against the Bucks, But now Brees suffered a ribs injury. It's, it's a multiple rib fracture on both sides and a collapsed lung on the right side. He is going to miss time like he did last year. What do you think? What type of effect is this
2: going to have on, on the Saints team? Well, I mean, the Saints do have an easy schedule the next four weeks. So, I mean, they can kind of coast. The idea is is that they you know they definitely want to get him back for the playoffs. And you know, the hope is is that they can get him back for that Chiefs game. You kinda of have to hope that Breeze gets as much time as he as he needs to, to have this thing heal. I mean, a broken rib is painful. A collapsed lung is is a scary thing to think about. I mean, I, I know these NFL guys, you know, they heal and they have the best doctors, but I mean, you know, that's that's not something to mess around with. If if they can if they can hold on to, you know, some sort of playoff spot, you know, why not why not sit breathe, and, you know, roll with Taysom Hill as you're kind of wildcat quarterback and you know roll with Jameis Winston I mean that's the reason you get a guy like Jameis Winston is so that you know if Drew Brees needs to go down for a certain period of time that you can stay in the playoff race so Jameis Winston is going to be asked to do exactly what they brought him here to do
1: I want to remind everyone that last year Drew Brees missed five games Teddy Bridgewater came in and he won all five straight games And he showed everyone that he can lead a franchise and become that starting quarterback. He got a big contract with the Carolina Panthers, and he's played well this year, considering that Christian McCaffrey has been out for most of the year. Winston can do the same thing. This is the reason why he signed with the Saints for one year. He wanted to learn from Sean Payton. He wanted to sit behind Drew Brees. Now he knows the system a little bit more than what he did when he first came in. Winston can help himself if he can show that he can cut down on those picks, something that he had a problem with. If he can run that system to perfection, and he'll have at least a month, maybe even more. Obviously, you're going to insert Taysom Hill in there. You're going to have those packages for him because he's such a unique and dynamic player. And I'm sure that Sean Payton is... Gonna do the the two quarterback thing, but I think Winston is gonna be the starter. Hill is gonna be that specialty quarterback around goal line in the red zone for trickery purposes. This is a chance for Jameis Winston to show what he's made of, and and if he can win and if he can limit those mistakes, Winston can can score a big time deal in the off season. He can get a contract from another
2: NFL team. Yeah, and I mean, you saw how Bridgewater got that contract from the Carolina Panthers, and that's really what Jameis Winston is playing for, is he's playing for another job with another city. Winston threw a lot of interceptions last year with Tampa Bay, and he, he wasn't the right guy for Tampa Bay, and that was really kind of the problem, but I mean, they said he's, you know, a lot of it, you know, some of it could have been a vision, and they've sort of been able to fix his vision issues, and Obviously, it's the kind of sport where he can play, you know, he can wear contacts and stuff like that. So I think James Winston will be able to coast them to the playoffs. And this week,
1: Bobata has the Saints as a a five-point favorite at home versus the Falcons. So they definitely have a winnable game. And It might be that offensive track meet between Winston and Matt Ryan. I think a lot of points will be scored in this game. For all those people that think that the Saints will take a step back, I don't think they will because Sean Payton is going to design his game plan around Winston's strengths, and we're still going to see a lot of Taysom Hill. And Michael Thomas is still there. He's healthy now. And Alvin Kamara, you'll see a lot of healthy dose of Alvin Kamara as well. And the Saints during this six-game winning streak, I mean, their defense has played well. They've been able to get after the quarterback, and that secondary, again, I, I've said this before, that secondary played extremely well against a talented Bucks
2: wide receiver core. Welcome. We've got Trey Essex on the line, uh, two-time Super Bowl champ and former Pittsburgh Steeler and one-year Indianapolis Colt. We're excited to have you on the show. How are you doing, Trey?
0: Good, good. Thanks for having me, fellas.
2: Can you tell us what it was like going through your mind when you had to step in for Marvell Smith? in
0: that Super Bowl run as a rookie? There's a lot of things going through my mind. Let me tell you, I'm, I was a left tackle coming from Northwestern without a lot of success. Best season at Northwestern was probably 6-6. Six six. It was 6-6. Six six. Um, went to one bowl game and to uh, get drafted too much out of favorite team and the Steelers was already mind-blowing in itself. But did I not, I did not think I was going to play my rookie year because we had a pro bowler and Marvell Smith. He hadn't been consistent his career was big uh, as far as injuries are concerned that was not a big part of his career and then when he went down and I had to start against Baltimore of all teams it, it was a lot going on we had Tommy Maddox in there because Ben had got hurt uh, a couple of weeks before I knew I had to come in and, and do my part and uh, try to at least uphold the tradition that Marvell Smith had established at left tackle up until that point because we had a Super Bowl team and I didn't want to be the reason why uh, we didn't get to where we needed to go as far as the offensive line is concerned. So, needless to say, it was uh, it was nerve wracking, but a uh, great experience.
2: You won two Super Bowls as a Steeler. What's your favorite Super
0: Bowl memory? Man, so so many. Um, my favorite Super Bowl memory, any Steeler fan knows uh, about the interception return that James Harrison did against uh, Arizona in uh, Super Bowl forty three. How? Game changing that was, um, and how improbable a play was that our 260 pound outside linebacker could take a, a slant 100 yards for the score. And so, just to be on the sideline to witness that, that play at the time, and it still might be the longest play in Super Bowl history, it was amazing to be there for that type of history and that type of play. You knew from that point that that Super Bowl was, was ours to lose. And, uh, thankfully, uh, we didn't let Larry Fitzgerald's big second-half touchdown um, get us down, and Ben and Santonio finish it off in that fourth quarter.
1: Uh, Trey, you grew up in Indiana. Uh, basketball is is the number one sport in that state. Was basketball your first love growing up?
0: Yeah, it's still my first love, actually. I just didn't grow into a basketball player. I uh, I grew out instead of up, and so football ended up being the sport for me. But – high school, I played high school basketball. We won a state championship and people ask me what is your biggest sports moment and the state championship uh, that we won in basketball in high school at that time in my life was as big as the Super Bowls that I won later in life, relatively speaking, because that's just a big thing that here in Indiana, like you mentioned. It's Basketball is God. It, I consider Indiana the mecca for high school basketball. It definitely was my first love and it still is truthfully honest.
1: What was the biggest reason you chose Northwestern? What was, uh, what were some factors that went into that decision? I realized that was a long time ago, but take us into your mindset Mm -hmm. at that time.
0: My final four choices came down to Northwestern, Notre Dame, and Miami, Florida, and Purdue. Uh, Those are my four choices. Going into my senior year, Northwestern was probably third or fourth. Uh, I had a, Miami was the U at the time. So that's when they had Santana Moss and Jeremy Shockey and Brian McKinney and Clinton Porter's and they, the list of star players I had seen the scene at time was ridiculous. And uh, I had I bought into it. I was into the, the glam and whatnot and took my official visit down to Miami, had a good time. But then it was something about Northwestern going there. It was probably the worst visit I took out of all the visits I, I did for college. And it was snowing, it was a blizzard, but they had just come off winning a Big Ten championship. And that degree that you get from Northwestern is second to none. And uh, it was also within driving distance, so my parents could watch me play. And uh, they wouldn't have to come out of pocket to buy plane tickets to go down to Miami every year, So because we were still living in Fort Wayne at the time. So it was a lot of decisions, a lot of uh, reasons, that went into that decision but ultimately speaking like I knew that if the NFL wasn't going to be for me I, the NFL is going to find you anywhere that you are if it, it happened that I were to get hurt or somehow I was maybe continue my football career to that degree that I could fall back on North Northwestern was ultimately why I chose to go there
1: so you didn't fall for sunny Florida and all the glitz and, and all those players obviously Miami was, was riding high at that time you didn't, you didn't fall for that huh?
3: I almost did don't
0: get me wrong like it was close uh my parents didn't make some sense to me to say you know you can't commit while you're there you got to give it some time to uh actually make a, a sound decision go back home and take everything into account and go on all your business before you commit I might have committed to Miami but my parents are raised me right and uh they've been there every they were there every step of the way to continue to be and uh they grounded me and made me come up with a, a decision. Even though they said they would have backed me in any decision, I mean, I know they were happy I chose Northwestern.
1: Uh, Trey, you mentioned that you were a Steelers fan growing up. What was it like to get drafted by your favorite team in the third round? Take us to that day, that, that draft day. And Did you know? Did they show some interest in you during the draft process? Did you have a good feeling that maybe they were one of the teams <laughs>
0: that you could go to no um being from portland rob Woodson is a big figure and i said he was uh he went to a high school not too far from where i grew up and obviously he had his career at purdue stayed in indiana and then went on to become what i think one of the greatest students of all time and uh you come back and do a camp every single year and I was a part of that camp every single year when I was growing up. And so that's kind of how my Steelers love was fostered. But going through the draft process, uh, going through the combine, I thought the teams that were going to pick me were going to be Kansas City, Buffalo. Those are teams that I had uh, combine meetings with. But uh, I did go on a visit to Pittsburgh, and it was good, but I didn't. there was nothing there that told me that I was – on their draft board. I mean, obviously, come to visit, you know, they, I was on some list, but I didn't know as far as where they would have me in his first drafting. So I had no clues going into that day, April 15th, 2005. I remember it like it was yesterday. I woke up early that morning. That's when they had rounds one through three on TV on Saturday. And I watched every single pick, not knowing that I was going to get picked on the first day, but. I saw a lot of guys that I thought that was better than going ahead of me. So I was getting upset. I was getting mad. I was like, there's a team out there who knows I could play, but for whatever reason, they're not picking me. As the night progressed, I actually was getting ready to go to alley. I was like, nobody's going to pick me up on the first day. Had a couple of my friends. Let's go to bowling Alley, get my mind off of things. As I'm getting ready to walk out the door, I get a call from a 412 area code on uh, my cell phone.
3: And I'm like, I don't know who
0: this is. I didn't think it was, I didn't know who it was. So I, I pick it up. It was like, is this Essex, Northwestern. And it was uh, Kevin Colbert. He was like, can you wait one second? Coach Coward wants to talk to you. By that time, my heart's beating. Like, this like, could, could this really be it? Could this be the Steelers calling to draft me? Or is somebody making a joke? Like, I didn't know what to think. <laughs> when Coach Coward got on the phone, his voice is unmistakable. And I tell people. Bill Cower's known for his chin. Like, as he was talking, I felt like I could hear his chin through <laughs>
2: And
0: he was, Trey, how you doing, son? Are you ready to be a Pittsburgh Steeler? And my, I never cussed for my parents, but I cussed that day. I was like, hell yeah, coach. I'm ready to go. And uh, that's what happened. They drafted me, third round, 93rd pick overall. Uh, my girlfriend was there, and my parents, some friends. It was a pretty special moment for me. And uh, it was a little celebration. Matthew got off the phone. Yeah, it was a great day.
1: Uh, Trey Essex is here with us. He's a former Steelers offensive lineman. What will you remember most about the Steelers organization as you look back now?
0: How close a professional organization was. Out, family oriented. It felt um, I was fortunate enough to play. I say my entire career. Obviously, I had a little cup of coffee here in Indianapolis, but I'm a Steeler. I played there for seven years, going through some special years together. And um, there's one special memory that sticks out and it was it actually occurred after I got done playing. Uh, it had been 10 years in 2015, since we had won the, our fifth Super Bowl in 2005. And old man Dan Rooney was still, uh, still around and still shaking everybody's hands. I came back and I hadn't been to the facility since I had got released in 2012. And in that time frame i had two little ones two little girls and they had not never been to pittsburgh but uh, i walked up to mr rooney said how you doing sir how you been he's like trey how are you how's amaya and ava like he knew my daughter's name and i hadn't talked to him i hadn't talked to anybody from pittsburgh but that's just a kind that's kind of a microcosm of how the Rooney's ran the organization he knew my daughter's name even though I hadn't talked to him or anybody else really with the Sears organization like two or three years, and he made a point to ask about my little girls. And so that just confirms everything that people say about the Sears. They're, they're not blowing smoke when they say they're a family organization who really cares about everybody that comes through, that plays for them. Mr. Rooney was definitely one that that exemplified that.
2: You talked a little bit about Bill Cowher. Um, what was it like to play for Bill Cowher?
0: It was an intense kind of love. Like, he – was hard on you and he wanted you to get the most but you never felt like it was too hard or he was too demanding too much or being unfair um he cared about his players and he wasn't always serious he would joke with you but there was a time and place for everything so you never wanted to disappoint coach Cowher because you knew he cared and you knew he would put you in the best possible situation to succeed and uh Everybody felt like that from the star players like Joey Porter, Troy would have been to the second string, third string long snapper. Uh, he knew everybody, and he really made a point to, to make everybody feel special. So you would run through a wall for Coach Howard, most definitely.
2: Roethlisberger has, you know, been in the league for a long time. A lots been said about him. What kind of person has Ben Roethlisberger, having blocked for him?
0: Ben's great. There have been stories and people talking about his personality, but Ben um, – especially being one of his offensive linemen, one of his closer friends when I was there. He's a very loyal human being. He definitely looked out for us as his offensive line and always made sure that we, we had fun, made sure that we knew that he cared about us. We had all kinds of fun. We got stories for days, and we always reminisce when we get a chance to go back. But even though I haven't blocked for him for, shoot, nine years, we still talk. Uh, we'll still get a we'll text from time to time, and when I go in town... I'll go over and see his family, his wife, Ashley, his three little kids. So he's he's a great and He's done nothing but become better as uh, his career, as uh, his Hall of Fame career has kept on going. And uh, he's got a wonderful family, and Roethlisberger's are doing a great job. Ben is definitely still one of my good friends.
2: That's pretty awesome. So there was a story you were 380 pounds at Ben Roethlisberger's wedding. Um, how did you lose the weight so fast? Or, I mean, is that story true? Or just I want to hear it from you.
0: No, it's true. it was true. The suit that I had on didn't really do me any favors. I had pinstripes, <laughs> so that made me look even bigger. But um, no, I was I had gotten out of shape. I, it was during the lockout season, and I I really let my body go. I wasn't working out like I was supposed to, and I wasn't eating like I was supposed to. And there was no feat to what I needed to do uh, as far as to get in shape. I just had to lock down and be disciplined as far as my diet and working out. There was no magic pill or no magic exercise. It it really took everything in me just to lock down and be like, this is not going to be the end of my career. And another Ben was the one that told me, he's like, Trey, everybody saw you at the wedding. I want you back, but they're not going to bring you back when you look like this. And so I took that to heart and he really went to bat for me to get me back to Pittsburgh. Would check on me to make sure I'm doing what I was supposed to do, and uh, I lost the weight. I, uh, I was down to Arizona, to training with Max Starks down there, and I, I really locked it down and lost about sixty, seventy pounds, in, in about four months.
1: You should put that diet plan out there on YouTube or or somewhere else <laughs> or on Twitter. Yeah. I mean, I, I think yeah, we'd yeah. we'd all sign up. I mean, half of the nation would <laughs> sign up for
0: that. <clears throat> <laughs> yeah, it was intense, but I definitely uh, it was definitely worth it. So, uh,
1: Bovada has the Steelers uh, minus 10 on the road over the Jags this week. Since you're a Steelers fan, you're continuing to root for them. You're still good friends with Big Ben. What are your thoughts on the current Steelers team? They're 9-0 and right now. They're playing well. I want to hear it from you. Uh, how does this team remind you of those two Super Bowl teams that, that you had before?
0: They definitely have some of the right pieces in place and it's a different offense the defense was very similar to similar defense I played with but the difference is the offense with it being more of a spread offense and Ben really running the show from the no huddle a run game not as strong but a lot of the O-linemen uh, they play are very similar to how we used to play ridiculously superstitious so I don't like to make predictions as far as them going undefeated or whatever. I honestly don't care either way. I just want them to stay healthy and to just keep on improving on things that I know that they can do because I don't think they played their best game yet to be truthfully honest. Uh, They had a good game against Cincinnati, but the run game wasn't working like it was supposed to. We got to get that back up to shore and we're giving up too much on the ground uh, these last few weeks. So As Perfect as the record may say that we are, we are far from it. And there's still a lot of improvements to be made in the second half of the season. So I'm looking forward to them actually doing that because I know Tomlin, that's what he's going to do every every meeting, every team meeting coming on Wednesday. He'll show a film section of mistakes made and how they can be approved upon. And uh, that's going to keep guys humbled. It's going to keep guys hungry. I still think we get to see the best version of the Steelers this year.
1: Trey, we want to get your thoughts on offensive line play so far for the Steelers. How have they been playing so far this year?
0: They've been protecting Ben. Uh, That's one thing they have been doing. I think the pass protection has been wonderful. They've had some injuries on the right side of that line. So, had to swap some guys off with a big uh, banner going down early. And now Chooks is in there. I I think he's doing a great job. DeCastro being hurt early, Kevin Dotson, the rookie coming in, who I thought did a tremendous job for a rookie. I think he has a tremendous future for the Steelers. Um, Pouncey is you He's going to get the pro bowler penalty every game, every snap. He's been in the game for a long time. He's a Hall of Famer. But uh, I think we could do a little bit more in the running game. For whatever reason, we're not doing a lot of counter and, and, and power plays that we found success with before with Connor and the Castro pulling and getting Mount, Pouncey out in space, there is some room for improvement. Filer, who had to move from right tackle for two years and had to come in and replace the legend in Ramon Foster left guard, I think he's done a great job. But even him, I think they can use him in the run game, pulling a little bit more, getting James on the edge. So, um, like I said, I think they're doing a great job. If I had to put a grade on it, I'd say a B because I think even they would tell you that they want to run the ball better.
2: I wanted to get your thoughts on the young guy, uh, Chuck Wuma Okorafor. He's playing right tackle right now. They're saying maybe he could be the left tackle when Ale, you know, Alejandro Villanueva hangs it up. I wanted to get your take, you know, having played played the position. W- where do you think he is right now, and what do you think he could be? So, truth, I, I watched him
0: when he was at Western Michigan, and he was a left tackle then. one of my good friends from Northwestern. uh ironically was the wide receiver coach there, so I watched him a lot. Before we drafted him, he's a hell of an athlete. He's a natural left tackle. I think more left and right. And I think, if and when Alejandro does decide to hang it up, that Chutes would be the natural guy, the most logical person to take over at that left tackle position because I think he has all the tools for it. I think he had a slow start to this year because he did lose the uh, camp battle with Big uh, Zach to. Take over the right tackle position that Tyler vacated when he had to move to left guard. But since then, I think he's played great. He had a really good game against Miles Garrett, who we all know is one of the best in the league. And uh, he's very physical at the point of attack. And I think he's getting more comfortable. But to answer your question, yeah, I definitely think and have confidence that he can go to left tackle and, and play really well there.
2: It seems like Mike Tomlin is kind of that alpha male among alpha males. You know, the Steelers like those alpha male types. And What's it like to play from Mike Tomlin? Do you think he's a great motivator?
0: He definitely is. The thing that you love about Coach T is that he doesn't – he tells you how it is, exactly how it is, and what it's going to be. There is no frills about his message. You're going to know exactly where you stand in his eyes and the eyes of the organization. And so you got to take that information and do with it what you will because he's going to let you know. He is consistent. Um, He doesn't waver. He is who he is. You know what you're going to get out of him. As a player, you appreciate that because you know how to approach your job and uh, you know what's expected of you. And uh, I think there was a little transition period between Coach Coward and Coach Tomlin. They have a different way of coaching, but a lot of what they do from the relationship with the players is very similar. As Alpha Mel as Tomlin is, he he has conversations with his his players. He tries to – help his players succeed i mean he's written me a couple of recommendation letters post career uh, just trying to help me that's my career in broadcasting and other uh, aspects of my career so i mean he's not just a football coach he does get to know you on a personal level um and i think a lot of guys appreciate that they love playing for him you see how much fun they have in pittsburgh he has the most famous press conferences of all time you know he has all the cliché the tomlinism as we like to call him <laughs> Uh, he, he's a great coach and another Hall of Fame coach that the Roonies just, they don't know how to hire anybody else, but Hall of Fame coach yourself. It's pretty awesome. Man.
2: You talked about how you said you think Marquise Pouncey is a Hall of Famer. Can you just kind of give me a little tidbit of what it's like to play with him? I mean, hes he's been, you know, him and Ramon Foster over the last few years have been kind of leaders, but you kind of played with him when he was a younger guy.
0: Pouncey was you couldn't tell he was a rookie when he stepped on the field. I mean, he's always had a, a air about himself, a, a confidence that uh, he knew he was going to be great. Um, he came in right away and knew that he was the guy. And he, he proved it shortly thereafter. I mean, there's not a lot of centers in this league that can say they played as long as he's played at the level that he's played at. Um, The only thing he's missing from his uh, resume is the Super Bowl, and I know that he's trying his best to get that this year or before he hangs it up. He's definitely deserving of it, and in the lineage of a lot of great centers, and Mike Webster and and Damani Dawson, and had a chance to play with Jeff Harding. He's right up there with him. He's one of the best centers to ever play for the the black and yellow, and I think we had the best centers in NFL history, if you like to wind them up next to any other franchise. And, uh... He's definitely one of those. But, uh, yeah, Marquise is very intense. He finishes everything. Like, he doesn't know how not to finish. And that just kind of webs off on the rest of the his mind. That's what makes him a leader because he's you not know out there trying to prove anything to anybody. He just That's just what kind of guy he is.
1: When you look at today's NFL, uh, how has the game changed from your perspective since you retired?
0: It's a loaded question. It has changed in a lot of aspects in how they – police and wrecked the game. In my career the concussion stuff really started to take the forefront towards the end. At the beginning there wasn't as much information out there about it and so the game was just refereed a lot differently therefore guys played with a different type of intensity people were getting hit taking out the games Uh, I remember Hines Ward knocking Keith Rivers out of the game breaking his jaw and he was never the same from a NFL career point standpoint after that. And so the physicality of the game has definitely changed. Everything is leaning more towards offense and scoring points. And defenders are, I think putting them to more of a bind because you can't do a lot of things that the defenders during my time could do. And it doesn't seem like it was that long ago. I mean, I played from 05 to 2012 and it's only 2020, but a lot has changed in that time frame. And, uh, the biggest thing is the physicality has just waned off just because everything that's going on with concussions and injuries and, and the NFL trying to uh, make the game a safer game.
1: Please tell our listeners what you've been up to since, since you retired. Uh, what are you doing nowadays?
0: Well, for the last five years, I've been doing some sports broadcasting, doing some division two, uh, football games for ESPN. Uh, I've been to all kinds of cool little college towns. uh, where guys are playing football. these are two guys who are playing football strictly for the love of it. Every now and again, you'll get a guy that has NFL talent, but they are few and far between. So it's a different kind of mindset going there watching you guys play football, but I, I like it because it's refreshing to see guys out there just playing for the pure love of the game. And um, for the last five years I've been doing that, I do uniform inspection for the Colts uh, for the last six years, uniform police, uh, if you will, making sure guys got the jerseys. Tucked in, the socks pulled up. They hate me, but it's just it's a nice little gig because I could to watch the Colts play on Sunday as well while I'm in town. And so, from a career standpoint, that's what I've been doing. And then three little ones, Maya, Ava, and Jory, aged eight, six, and three, are keeping me busy. And uh, obviously, my beautiful wife Christina. So, taking care of my family and uh, still rooting for my students very hard on Sunday.
1: Well, let's hope they win another Super Bowl this year. I'm not going to jinx them, that but. Would do uh, much. Uh, Trey, thank you for being with us. We we really appreciate it. No problem. All right. We're back from the interview, and we've got one last topic on deck. Uh, we're going to talk about the Arizona Cardinals. It seems to be a theme on this show. We're talking about teams that have caught fire, teams that are on a roll. We've already talked about the the Dolphins and the Saints, and now we're talking about that the Arizona Cardinals, that catch by DeAndre Hopkins was a thing of beauty at the end of the game against the
2: Buffalo Bills. Yeah, I mean, the way he high points the ball. I mean, did you catch what he said after the game? He, he sort of made the, the gesture, you know, where he's tapping the top of his head and kind of saying, like, he just got dunked on. And that's, that's kind of what just happened there. I mean, he, he, he could high point the ball really well. And, um, you know, DeAndre Hopkins is a big reason why this team is 6-3. and three. Yeah, and they're 4-1 and one in the last five games.
1: They beat the Seattle Seahawks a couple of weeks ago. Everybody took notice, but now they beat the Buffalo Bills, and it seems like Kyler Murray has a flair for the dramatic. It seems like he's a quarterback that knows how to win these close games. You're never out of it when Kyler has the ball at the end of the fourth quarter. He's becoming that Mr. Comeback. I would say in the beginning the Arizona Cardinals were having long drives against the Bills, but they were settling for field goals inside the red zone. But in the second half they caught fire and obviously DeAndre Hopkins is the number one guy for Kyler Murray, but that catch was amazing. It's just it's kinda like one of those catches that Randy Moss used to come up with he would high point the ball like a basketball player it didn't matter if it was a double or a triple team I was really impressed with what Kyler Murray did because when he was rolling out to his left there was a pass rusher in his face he had to square his body get his hips right square those shoulders to get that pass off and he threw it like 50 yards without any problem at all obviously he showed off his arm strength and it was just amazing i mean the throw is as accurate as you would want it to be and that's what impressed me about the play even more it wasn't only the catch it was the throw as well
2: i i think i think you know kind of one of the things that jumps out for me is you know we're seeing this dual threat quarterback which you know has been working in the college game and now it's it's starting to be a regularity in the nfl you know i remember that i criticized
1: the arizona cardinals for not doing the right thing. I mean, I remember when they drafted Josh Rosen, number 10 overall, and then they dumped him after one year when they hired Cliff Kingsbury, and he wanted his guy. He wanted Kyler Murray. But it seems like the Arizona Cardinals got on the right track. I mean, they got their head coach, and they got their quarterback, and they're they're on the same page, as they say, and that offense, it's going to carry the day. And right now, as we sit here today, The Arizona Cardinals look like a playoff team, and it's a team that I wouldn't want to play against, because they've got some weapons, and they've got a running game now. Chase Edmonds, Kenyon Drake looked like he was alive against the Buffalo Bills, showed signs of life. The offensive line has played better, something that's been a huge issue at Arizona, and this is... We're still a long way away, obviously, from the playoffs, but...
2: I wouldn't want to play the Arizona Cardinals in the playoff. Well, the, the, the problem with the Arizona Cardinals is their defense. And I, I understand they have Buda Baker, and they're they're pretty good at safety. But to be honest with you, front seven, cornerback, I'm not that impressed with the Arizona Cardinals on the defensive side of the ball.
1: Well, you know what? Bavada is also not impressed with the Arizona Cardinals, even after their big win against the Buffalo Bills. Uh, They have the Cardinals as a three-point underdog on the road versus the Seahawks. It looks like people are still going with Russell Wilson, even though Kyler Murray beat Russell Wilson a couple of weeks ago. Who do you have in this game? Are
2: you going with the Cardinals, or are you taking the Seahawks? I'd go with the Seahawks in this game, and I'd uh, I I'd take the over too. <laughs> you know, when the over/under, I mean, I don't know what the over/under is, but I'm going to take the over in this game. I don't, I don't, I don't have much faith in either defense.
1: We're joined by another guest. His name is Chris Garrett. He's a defensive lineman from Concordia University St. Paul. He's a Harlan Hill Trophy nominee, Cliff Harris Award finalist, and a D2 All-American. He shows a real knack for getting after the quarterback. He had five sacks in one game last year. Chris, welcome to the show.
3: Yeah, glad you guys uh, chose to have me on. I'm glad to talk to you guys a bit.
1: Five sacks in one game. How does that happen? Do you still remember that game very vividly in your mind?
3: Oh, yeah, I remember that game. Um, It was a fun game. It It was snowing, and I had all my family there. And honestly, it was just... It was really a game that I was able to take over. It was fun.
1: Obviously, this season has been really different. What have you been up to? Uh, how have you stayed in shape during this time?
3: I'm training at Next Level Fitness in Walkershaw, Wisconsin, training with Brad Arnett. And he's, uh, man, they, they kick my butt every single day. Every time I walk in there, it's you know it's going to be a work day. So that's what I've been up to, staying in shape and just trying to be prepared for my the moment
1: when did you start training with them chris uh when did this uh when did this begin
3: probably october the second second week in october i started training with them and they've been just making sure i'm healthy making sure uh, i'm flexible just little details so that i can build my strength and build some of those um, things that i have to work on
1: A lot of small school guys that I know are still undecided about whether to turn pro or not. Some of them are still debating whether to go back in the spring or maybe come back next fall. Very few have made that decision. You've already made up your mind that you will enter the 2021 NFL Draft. What factors went into that decision?
3: Getting feedback directly back from scouts and um just talking to people and knowing that um there's not much i can do at the division two level to improve draft stock now it's just about taking that risk and taking the next step and honestly i just talked about it with my family and really just spent a lot of time in prayer god really just let me know that this is this is what i need to do
1: i'm curious how does a guy like you slip through the cracks Tell us about your recruiting. You were born and raised in Wisconsin. Who was interested in you, Chris? And how did you eventually wind up at Concordia?
3: Wisconsin was interested in me. I went to their junior day. Western Illinois, Northern Illinois, got a cup like a letter from Utah. These schools were interested in me, but they they wanted me as walk-ons. Wisconsin talking about maybe a scholarship, and then you know they gave all the scholarships away, and I was just kind of just left there, and there was no way. I was going to be able to pay to go to a Division One institution. After every team kind of just dropped off the map, Coach C at Concordia, he, um, he came to my school and was like, hey, you can come help change the culture here. And I saw that as an opportunity, and I went to visit the school, and I just knew that that's what I was going to spend the rest of um, the next four years. So I uh, went to Concordia, and now I'm here.
1: Are you happy with that you made that decision uh to to go to Concordia?
3: Absolutely there's no place like God made it clear um over and over again that Concordia is where I was supposed to be, and um I know that maybe it was a tougher route, but i'm I'm where I am, and I know this is where I'm supposed to be too.
2: You hold the d two record for career force fumbles with fifteen. How proud of you are of that accomplishment?
3: It's something that i really um that I'm really proud to um, have you know it and it speaks to the way I value the football I really I really football to another another level like that's what it's all about that's what the game's about I'm really proud of that accomplishment and I wish honestly I wish I had a senior year because I would have crushed I would have crushed that record like nobody would have been able to break
2: what are your best pass rush moves
3: my best pass rush move some of them are like I like the speed rush my first step, my first couple of steps are, are fast, and I like to get to, to the point before that, that tackle does. And then from that, speed to power, and also the long arm. I love the long arm because I can, I can make other moves out of that, of the long arm.
2: What's the key to being an edge rusher?
3: The key, there's there's a lot of things. You got to – your first steps are very important when you want to rush the edge Knowing your opponent is huge, so that comes with just film study and then just having good hands. Knowing where to put your hands, when to do certain moves with your hands is super important.
1: Uh, Chris, when you turn on the film and we watch you, you look like an athlete out there. I assume that football wasn't the only sport that you played when you were growing up
3: yeah so when i was um in middle school I did wrestling and even going into high school I would wrestle with the the wrestlers i wouldn't i wasn't on the wrestling team, but I would go and wrestle with the wrestlers from time to time to help me stay in shape in in high school my freshman and sophomore year I played basketball and and in middle school i did uh, i did track too just having um my brothers and my sister and all of them being in sports and me just wanting to uh stay up to speed honestly it really helped me to to be where I'm at now
1: there was a story out there that I came across that you were reunited with your younger brother he's now a running back at Concordia tell us about that story what was it like to to play with him last year
3: yeah it was truly a blessing honestly I just having him on the team somebody that I'm super close to and um been able to just just help him along with the process, being in college and tell him what he needs to do and and all the lessons he taught me that last year were huge and then honestly just seeing him score his first college touchdown as a true freshman was one of the most exciting moments that I felt in my whole college career. Just and I ran onto the field celebrating with him. It was just honestly it was just it was pretty it was pretty special having him on the team with me
1: you were a defensive end in college now you'll be making a move to outside linebacker during your training and that's what you project as at the next level what challenges lie ahead for you what do you need to improve upon as you make that transition
3: yeah i need to um i think the biggest thing is just getting reps at that linebacker off the ball type position just being able to move laterally is is going to be huge for me and i've been you know, I've been trying to work on that and implement that in as we speak. And, yeah, I think those are going to be some some of the challenges that lie ahead and just focusing on being able to guard a tight end or something like that. Um, I think I'll be able to adapt pretty quick. Those will be some of the challenges that I face, but I'm confident in my ability to be able to do that. Do you
2: have a favorite NFL team?
3: Yeah. Right now I'm a, I'm a Packers fan. You know, from Wisconsin, green and gold—that's me.
2: Is there an edge rusher in the league that you model your game after?
3: Like we said, I grew up in Wisconsin, and I, I like to model my game, and even from a young age, just watching Clay Matthews—he's not in the league now—but I just like to to match that intensity that he had, and just that, just him flying around a corner with fast hands and turning, flipping his hips. On the edge, that's what – I kind of like to model my, my game after him. Obviously, there's a lot of other guys in the league that I that I watch and study and uh, try to implement some of those things that they bring too. But um, for – if it's probably one guy, it would be Clay Matthews of, of old.
2: Chris, thank you for being with us, and good luck in your pursuit of the NFL.
3: Yeah, thank you guys for uh, inviting me on.
2: This was
1: BlitzCast. We want to thank everyone for listening. Take care.